one of the things I'm going to do with the Television Academy is we're planning on doing a study over television for the next five to ten years. So once I get that study out, you should definitely read it. <laughs> hey everyone, and welcome to Entertain Your Future, a podcast exposing you to various career trajectories in entertainment and media through interviews with industry professionals. Do you have an entrepreneurial spirit and have thought about starting a company? Maybe you have a love for all types of content creation spanning television, film, advertising, interactive experiences, and new technologies. On this episode of Entertain Your Future, I sit down with the current chairman and CEO of the Television Academy. He's also the president and co-founder of Radical Media, a multidisciplinary production company with international offices. In collaboration with some of the world's most prestigious filmmakers, directors, and content creators, Sherma has produced award-winning TV programs, feature films, branded programming, and digital content. To date, he's received an Academy Award, a Golden Globe, Emmys, Grammys, Webbies, two Palme d'Ors at Cannes, the International Advertising Festival, and the Smithsonian Cooper Hewitt National Design Award for Communication Design, although those accolades just scratch the surface of his recognitions within the advertising and entertainment industries. During this interview, we navigate through how he co-founded Radical Media and discuss trends in the industry. Today, Frank Sharma joins us from LA. Thank you for joining us, Frank. You're very welcome. Glad to be here. Please introduce yourself with your roles and what companies you work for. Okay. Well, I'm the, the founder and president of a company called Radical Media. We're sort of a multidisciplinary media company. We sort of run the gamut of TV shows, movies, live events, television commercials, music videos, location-based entertainment. Uh, my role is the president of the company and one of the two founders of the company. I'm also the chairman and CEO of the Television Academy. The Television Academy, most everybody thinks of the Television Academy as the people who put on the Emmys, but that's just a small part of what the Television Academy is. And I just became the chairman CEO January 1. So I've, I've jumped into those sort of two roles. One is a business role, my company, where I'm actually paid, and one is the Television Academy, which I do on a volunteer basis. Congratulations on your newfound role with the Television Academy as chairman and CEO. It's got to be a huge addition to your workload on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I joke around and say that I was free between 11 p.m. and 3 a.m., so I needed to put something in there. So I took on this role. I mean, that's a, that's a great way of putting it. Um, it's a lot of extra work, but it's work that's going to be really important and influential to television distribution and the way the media portrays and critiques television. So what is a day in the life of a CEO of two major entities? Well, basically, when we talk about radical media, a, a day in the life of radical media is right now we're shooting probably about five television shows, um, doing some live events doing some digital properties and a ton of television commercials. So I'm overseeing the staff and I'm overseeing uh, some of the TV shows, some of the editorial that's going on with it. It's a multifaceted 
kind of uh, job that I do. Uh, one day I'll be talking to uh, studios and agents about talent that I need for a television show. Uh, the next day, the next hour, I'll be dealing with a director who's going to be doing a big campaign for a big advertiser. I'll be dealing with uh, the editorial on another te television show that we're doing. I need to look at the edit and work with the creators of the show on getting it finished for the network. And then I'll also be dealing with the network on a daily basis, figuring out what their needs are and what they're looking for. And then I'll also be out pitching new shows. And at the same time, we'll be working with advertisers, figuring out how to help them reach consumers. Or I don't even call them consumers anymore. I call them the audience. Uh, that would be sort of the radical media end. In terms of the Television Academy, there's just there's a lot of, of figuring out what the agenda for the next two years of the Television Academy will be. And where do we want to take the Television Academy as television continues to change at light speed. I keep saying that television is changing faster than 5G, which is going to change everything in any event when 5G is fully up and running. Uh, basically, you would have been able to download a movie before I finish this sentence. That's how quick 5G is going to be. It's hard to imagine the effects of 5G uh, specifically and how that's going to really change the game for the audience. But um, thank you very much for going through that. I think it's hard to conceptualize from an outside perspective what that type of schedule might look like. But I think you did a really good job of overviewing it for us in terms of how complex it can be and how it can change day to day, hour to hour, based on the needs, um, as well as kind of where projects are in development. That's part of the exciting part of it, is that it never gets boring because from hour to hour, you have something that's changing and you have to figure out and there's a problem over there and there's a new thing over there and you're constantly learning and constantly figuring things out. You've grown this company for years, for decades. It's talking to you now about this, what might feel much different than it would have maybe 20 or 30 years ago when you were just starting. And I'm sure that that excitement was still there. It was just probably much different in terms of figuring out like what types of internal structure you were going to have for radical media. Like I'm sure you had to build up an HR or a creative or, you know, just like all these different departments that kind of that function to help the overall mission. Yeah, I think I think we stuck with the creative part of that first trying to find the best creative, the best creative partners, the best directors, looking for creatively being the best at what we did. And then we thought that everything would would uh, sort of expand beyond that. And that's come true. I know it depends, obviously, on what they want to do. But for people going into what, what you do, do you suggest people get a formal education? Why am I not? Well, I think I think the most important thing that colleges and university uh, give you that I think people should continue to do. And, and I do believe in, in formal education and I do believe that people should do that because, but I do, but I do believe that you need to have a broad look at if you want to be in this industry and not be very specific that you want to be a cinematographer. So you're only going to study 
cinematography or you want to be a director and you're only going to study directing. I think you need to have a really broad sense of a lot of things to be in a creative industry. So really what you want to be able to do is take a side class and understand how people work and uh, you know take a writing class because you're going to be looking at people who are writing and submitting things to you. Take a photography class so that you understand lighting. I think that being in a university and being able to work and learn those kinds of things will give you a broader sense of where entertainment is and, and what it's doing. I, I think I would have liked to have taken some business classes and understood how to read a P&L statement, how to look at certain accounting forms, how to deal with the, the things that I had to learn on the fly by, by running a business and, and working with my partner. Those were the things that I, I didn't have from when I was, because I didn't go to school. So I didn't have that ability to learn that, which I could have hopefully applied as I was moving forward in business world. I mean, it worked out, but I wish I would have had that skill set in the beginning because I think um, I probably would have been better at what I was doing at that time. If you are going to, you know, eventually have your own production studio um, and do things in-house, you want to have, you know, the ability to understand people, to understand what good content looks like, to understand how, you know, you know, what good writing is. So I think those are really important points. I also think that, you know, the, the maturation that happens when you're out on your own and you're not home having your parents do your laundry or cook you dinner, that maturation process is probably even more important than the classes themselves. It's that, it's that growth that comes from, oh shit, I'm on my own. Right. Uh, you know, what, what do I do here? The, the, you know, the light bulbs are out in my room and I don't have a spare light bulb. Oh, I didn't even think of that. I mean, it's, it's, it's as simple yeah. as those kinds of things. Um, you know, having to cook your own dinner or shop for everything and do your laundry and, oh, the sink's clogged. What do I do? And all of a sudden that learning process prepares you to be in the world and whatever you want to do, but especially in the entertainment world. That's the thing that I, I, I actually feel that I wish I would have had was that that understanding and that growth that comes from being away uh, and doing that, uh, you know, and having some of the freedom of not the financial constraints that I had, which is I moved out when I was 19 and I had to pay the rent and I had to I had to learn all those things on my own, not in sort of a safer environment uh, of, a, of, a, of a college or a university. I had to learn it on my own, you know, in Manhattan and had to work two jobs and had to pay the rent and at the same time figure out where I was going. So I learned those things, but they just weren't as, um, uh, let's say, as, I don't know, fun is the right word, as I watched my kids go through college and, you know, school. Um, it, it was definitely more stressful on my end, I think. Sure. I mean, problem solving and quick thinking and needing to find salute, like those are all the skill sets and having that time and opportunity to make mistakes in sort of a say as a safer environment and one that's more forgiving um of of not knowing everything at first definitely is a really important thing for people to to run a company then do you think the business education is preferable or the production and media studies you know is more important at first 
you know, I think I think so much of it boils down to self-confidence and your ability to think that you could run a business even if you don't have these skill sets. Do I think I would have been better at it in the beginning of running the company and understanding things better? I absolutely do think that. Uh, I absolutely do think that if I would have had a more formal education in terms of even psychology and understanding people better or business and understanding that better, I think I would have been better in the beginning of my career when I was starting the business. Do I regret not having it? I don't think I regret anything right now, but I do think it might have accelerated the growth of the company at that time in understanding that more. Yeah, so I think it's smart. I think it's smart. And especially not everybody has the ability to start their own company. And sometimes you, you, you work at a company and then you work your way up, but sometimes to get into that company, they are looking for a formal education. So I really believe that it's, that it's good to have that. Can you talk about your leadership style in terms of managing all these different people and delegating all these different responsibilities with, between two different entities, the Television Academy and Radical Media? Well, I, I think that there's there's two things, you know, the key, of course, is to have great people around you. You want to have really smart people around you. You want to have people that you can trust. You want to have people that you let do their job. Micromanagement is a really tough way to grow a company, at least in my mind. And you want the folks that are doing their job to do their job and do it well. And you want to be there if there's questions and concerns or advice, but you want to make sure you have the right people around you. Within Radical Media, I'll, I'll be very hands-on with certain television shows that, that the networks or the creators want me to be involved. I'll be very involved in certain television commercials that they want. Some of the advertisers want me to be around for that. So each piece of the company, it'll depend upon who we're dealing with and who are my clients and who how much involvement I get and how much the folks that are there take take care of it and I don't have to worry about it. At the Television Academy, I'm really the chairman and CEO of the board. And in my mind, my job is really to create an agenda with my executive committee and my executive team and the, the board of the Television Academy and to create an agenda that will really benefit hopefully the industry and really benefit the Academy. And we have a great staff to sort of see the agenda through. We have wonderful committees run by lots of great people in the industry and they'll have specific things to do. So it's a little, it's hands-on, but it's not uh, in the weeds, so to speak. So you mentioned that you had a partnership and that you co-founded Radical Media. Can you talk a little bit about how you met your partner and your initial goal and mission with him? My partner, John, had a um, small production company in New York City that produced television commercials. That was when there were only three networks, ABC, NBC, and CBS. That was even before Fox came about and before WB came about. So commercials were an integral part of uh, the television business because it's what funded the television business. You know, advertisers are what paid for shows, uh, even in the beginning when they sponsored shows completely. You know, the Revlon sponsored the $64,000 question and Texaco had the Texaco hour. And you had all these brands that 
sponsored shows and paid for them. And commercials was a very big business. So my partner had a small production company in New York and I was actually working in an advertising agency producing television commercials. And every once in a while I would use my partner's company uh, and his director to do some of the commercials that I was producing. Over a period of time after I had done the advertising agency route, I moved to LA and I switched and started working for production companies, producing television commercials for the production companies. So I was the line producer, which is much different than the advertising agency producer. As the line producer, you're putting together the crews, you were putting together locations, you were dealing with the big budget, you were doing all that. And I did that for a year and a half and I became friends and hooked up with a, a print photographer who I thought could shoot television commercials because everything he did was action oriented and he just needed to change the camera from a still camera to a motion picture camera. And I went back and I sat down with John and said, I'm thinking of starting this company. What do you think? And he said, funny, I'm thinking of opening an office in LA. Why don't you open our office and bring on this photographer and we'll start this photographer and get this going. And I started their West Coast office. And then after a number of years, we bought out his old partner and John and I became partners. That's a really cool story and definitely not linear at all. I mean, just showing how relationships, you you working with people before you partner with them and yes. jump, jumping into a business. Yes. Um, <laughs> and also like extending that relationship across, to keeping in touch to move, for you to move to LA and for him to be in New York and for you guys to have that dialogue and that relationship established was probably key and integral to the success of launching it on the West Coast. Well, what he said, which was quite funny, he when I moved to L.A., of course, I called him and said, I'm going to L.A. And John said, well, keep in touch. And he said, I said that, you know, in a, in a, you know, sure, keep in touch. You know, like that's what you tell somebody when they're moving to the other part of the country and, you know, you never expect them to. And he always jokes around how every two months I would keep in touch and I would call him and I would say, what's going on and how you doing? And, da, da, da. and he said... It was quite astounding because you assume that when you sell someone to keep in touch that they really don't. It's just a nicety. But he kept in touch, and that's how we developed our friendship and our partnership. Right, and I think a lot of times with, with people coming out of school or people coming into their career in their early 20s, a lot of these relationships are the relationships that you'll have going forward, and you'll make new ones along the way through work and through life, but when you have these people and you establish these relationships, keeping in touch with people is the key. And you're, you know, a living example of that. And, and being nice to everyone on the way, because you never know where they're going to end up. I was at an award show last night and well, for the Directors Guild of America. And one of the directors got up and said, 11 years ago, I was a PA on this movie that I was involved with. And here I am winning the award for for best director of this thing. He said, be nice to everyone. You never know. I also believe it's karma. You have to be nice to people because you want to be you treat people the way you want to be treated or you the way you want your family to be treated. Especially being a leader in your company, you want to set the tone and show people what your values are so that they continue to pass forward that positive energy and that karma. You're listening to the Entertain Your Future podcast and we'll be right back after this break. This podcast is funded in part by Drexel University's Entertainment and Arts Management Program. Are you or someone you know looking for a college major where you can learn about the business of entertainment? 
Whether you're hoping to work in the performing, media, or visual arts, the Entertainment and Arts Management Program at Drexel University in Philadelphia prepares students for careers spanning the commercial entertainment business and the nonprofit cultural sector. Through a combination of hands-on experiential learning in both Drexel's world-renowned co-op program and classes taught by practicing professionals, Drexel's Entertainment and Arts Management program will teach you to manage your own artistic career or to manage the creative process in this $2 trillion global industry. For more information, visit tinyurl.com forward slash E-A-M dash Drexel, call one 800 2 Drexel or send an email to enroll at drexel.edu and ask about the Entertainment and Arts Management Program. And now we're back with more Entertain Your Future. Cool. Well, let's transition to talking about the industry a little bit more. What can you tell us about how the advertising industry is shifting with regards to addressable and advanced TV? and the OTT platforms and how that's shaping your business strategy at Radical? Well, I mean, the, the reality is, is television commercials are still a big part of our world and will continue to be, you know, today is Super Bowl Sunday and uh, there's more competition for getting better commercials and who's got the best commercial on the Super Bowl sometimes than there are for the teams that are playing. Commercials are still crucial to broadcast networks. They're still a big part of it, but they no longer reach the audience that they used to reach. So advertisers have had to continue to spend money to reach. And again, I changed the word from consumers to audiences, and they have to figure out how they're going to reach those audiences. And, you know, advertisers are doing everything from sponsoring concerts to creating apps where you can stream Concerts, which is what American Express did and did a wonderful job with that, where you were, your members could stream concerts and see the concerts that they were putting on. They were doing, People are doing live events, bringing people to what I call location-based entertainment, which is a, a place to have a live digital experience or a live experience brought to you by a brand so that you appreciate that brand, which is actually how television started. My parents appreciated the brands because they brought them free TV. So brands have had to sort of uh, pivot from doing television commercials, print ads, and billboards to having to reach so many individual audiences who are looking at things on so many different platforms and so many different ways. So they have to be entertaining to reach those audiences that they're looking for. So the work has gotten better in terms of commercials, but they're also sponsoring television shows. They're also doing an event that, you know, at, at Art Basel, for example, or, you know, they're, they're doing digital television shows that are reaching people. They're doing things on Instagram. They're still spending money. They're just spreading it out to reach individuals. And they're trying to be a little more specific about... Yeah, like targeting people with um, influencers or branded content just to associate their their brand with something real and tangible and relatable. Right. And, and you know, look, there's, there's no doubt there's some tricky things going on with the ability for, I don't know if tricky is probably the wrong word, but it's quite interesting that you could be searching for something on uh, Google or searching for something somewhere. And then, you know, in the next half an hour, 
you'll get an email from some advertiser based on what you were just looking for. So it's much more targeted. It happens to me all the time. <laughs> yes. I mean, also, like, you can download an app on your phone and get a Facebook ad on your computer for that app. Like, that happens to me all the time. It happened to me this morning. Yeah. Everything's connected now. So with, with those technologies in place, people are really trackable. And um, I'm wondering, with all these different ways that people are being tracked and all the different ways that standard standardization of measurements is sort of fragmented, does that make it more challenging to know what types of content to be focusing on in terms of like live events versus social media, like to where to put your money and how to dictate what content is being more demanding? Yeah, absolutely. I think advertisers are still figuring that out. I think there's a lot of try that there, try that there, let's try that and, and see what's working based on what their brand is. You know, Mercedes-Benz is going to be reaching out to people in a very different way than Procter & Gamble is for a shampoo. So there, there's no longer a sort of standard. So each individual brand has to start, or is it's not that they have to start, they have been figuring out how do they reach the people that they need to reach for their products. And it's not going to be the same for everybody anymore. It's not going to be, oh, let's put it on television and put it, when Friends is on or when Seinfeld is on, we know we can reach a lot of people that way. That's not true anymore. So now they have to be much more specific uh, in how they reach people. Cool. So let's talk about what types of content and genres of content are most desirable right now. I mean, we have mobile. Um, you talked about Quibi briefly. Um, is there certain types, formats, or genres of content that you think are more hot? You know, hot is an interesting word. You mean that that I think there's so many different right now. Uh, you know, when you go through the gamut of the the range of OTTs and VODs and NVOD and AVOD, and you know, you can put almost four uh, letters together, and you'll have another way that people are reaching out to people. It's advertised supported, or whether it's not, you know, whether it's subscription based, or whether it's user generated. I mean, one of the things that I, that I just found out, which I think is quite interesting, is that Facebook, which is ad-supported, some of their biggest growth right now is coming from smart TVs. The fact that the smart TVs have a YouTube app, YouTube is having this growth from these smart TVs because people are flipping on the smart TV and you have Netflix and Amazon and all the different ones that you have, but you also have YouTube. So people are clicking on YouTube and they're saying that that's the fastest growth that they are having is people watching YouTube on large screen TVs because of the smart TVs. So it's really not specific to genre. It's really not specific to format. It's more about the platform is what you're saying with regards. I mean, sure, we've got like mobile content um, and how that's popular. People are making content to view for the mobile screen for the nature of, you know, fitting into someone's commute or day or something, but the ways that that we can watch it are endless. Yes. Yeah. The amount of places that we can consume media is just going to get more and more interesting. And the amount of entertainment and media that will need to reach an audience is just going to continue to keep growing. 
and it makes it makes for a lot of opportunities and new experiences and kind of a learning curve. So has the merger and acquisitions of a lot of large media corporations affected Radical in any way in terms of like what you guys do, your strategy, or is it not really affecting you guys because you are a private company? Well, I mean, you know, it, it, it affects us in a way that, you know, they're, they're creating their own ecosystem, which is actually good for Radical Media because we can create for the different ecosystems depending upon what type of things that they're looking for. So we can actually, you know, other than, other than the fact that the consolidation may eventually mean less, right now it means more. So while this is going on, it doesn't affect us uh, as dramatically as it might a public company. Can you discuss the ways that your industry colleagues have reacted to the Me Too and Time's Up movements? Well, I think, I think um, here's an example. Last night at the DGA Awards, they talked about a, a diversity award, which is very much like in the Time's Up movement. And they talked about giving out a diversity award and how uh, the effects channel got it last night because uh, four years ago, I think, and I don't know if these are the exact statistics I'm trying to remember, 11% of the people who directed uh, their shows <clears throat> were minorities and women. And four years later, after taking, taking a very strong belief that that has to change, 53% of their shows were now directed by uh, women and minorities and people of color. And it was a fabulous transition for what they did when they put their mind to it. As, as, as they said last night, it was Paris Barclay, who's a, a wonderful television director, said, I can't wait for the day when there is no award for diversity because it's just part of who we are as an industry. <clears throat> and I think that's where it's going. I think, in my mind... The fact that, that the industry is realizing that it doesn't matter your color or your race or your gender, creativity comes from so many, so many different places. And to me, it's exciting because now it's opening up a whole new range of more creativity from more people. Yeah, I think it's fabulous. I, I just look forward to the day when we don't say, oh, that's a woman director. It's just a director who happens to be a woman or a director who happens to be a man or a director who happens to be of color. It, it shouldn't be prefaced with, you know, you know, their gender or their color or anything like that. It's just this is who they are. And that, that's the day I really look forward to. Everyone should be evaluated on, like you said, creativity and type of story they're telling and also the caliber of their work. Eventually, hopefully, we won't have to think about those things. But as, as of now, we do have to make this a really big change because that way people are seeing content that reflects them and their lives and you're engaging more of, of the audience and you're not isolating them and not, not telling their story. Completely agree. What types of roles do you think are important for people to get their feet wet in production or business development as a young person, whether they're in college, high school, or early in their 20s? 
Well, I, I think, you know, I do a lot of internships at Radical Media, and some of them are through the Television Academy, which is how I got involved with the Television Academy in the beginning, because it has a fabulous internship program through the foundation. You know, I think you get, I think the practical experience, any practical experience you can get on a set, uh, if you come out and you're a production assistant and you're running around getting coffee and, you know, you're putting up, you know, tents to prevent people from getting wet in the rain and you're cleaning out the garbage, you're, you're seeing everything that goes on on a set. And you can start to see where you think you fit in. Should I be in the art department? Should I be in the camera department? Do I think I'm a cinematographer? I think anything practical that you can get is absolutely some of the best learning that you can have. Look at internship programs. Look at things like that. That will get you whatever practical experience you can. Business development is, uh, is again, that's, that's the same kind of thing. The practical experience is what is the most important thing you can get. The college and the high school and that, that's great. That gives you sort of a slight bedrock for it, but it, it's not necessarily how it is when you get out there into that real business environment. So work at different places. I learned when I was 16 or 17, I was the assistant manager of a Baskin Robbins. So I learned about inventory and I learned about, you know, how to clean out things to make it work and how to deal with customers and how to deal with that stuff. Practical experience is the best thing you can do. You know, when you're, when you're, when you're finished with your semester or your, your, your year at school and you're going home for the summer, don't go home and put your feet up and play video games. You can do that sometimes at night. Go find an internship, even if it means that you're not getting paid. Go find a job that will give you some sort of experience that will take you a little bit further. Could you talk about the role of the coordinator and the assistant and how that can kind of be maybe not the most glamorous thing at first when people are applying for, you know, at these companies, but how important that role can be in terms of elevating your career at some point. I think any starting position in a company of something that you want to do is where you have to be. I think part of the generation of people coming out of school thinking they know everything when they don't, being an assistant, being a coordinator, working with a director, working with you know, uh, an executive at a company, you'll learn so much about what you want to do and what you don't want to do. You'll learn if you're working for someone and you don't like their style, you know that that's not the style that you want. And it opens you up to ask questions. The biggest mistake I think that people make when they come into positions like this is they think they know everything and they think that the people running the places want them to know everything. It's actually quite the opposite. We want them to ask questions and not pretend to know everything, but actually to learn things. So that's probably my biggest piece of advice. Don't pretend that you know everything because you don't. Come in, ask questions, learn from that. Don't make mistakes two and three times because that means you haven't learned from it, but go, oh, what is that? How does that work? How does, how, how does that happen? And that's, that's crucial in an assistant and a coordinator job. When you look at Radical specifically, what types of positions um, are you hiring for? Like, are you doing any internal shape-shifting that maybe you want your resources to go more towards, you know, positions for tech, for example? I think it's a combination. We have a lot of coders on staff. 
for some of the digital experiences that we do and some of the digital events that we do. So that's a very specific kind of thing that's, uh, you know, as you know, coding is a very specific type of thing. And those that are learning coding, we do hire some people like that. I'd say that, you know, we're as radical media, there's people who are really interested in for full-time jobs in production and research and development of projects. So we have people that want to come in to work under people who are developing shows with us and the learning process of reading scripts and changing things and things like that. We have people that want to be in production. So, you know, some of the people that have worked for me as an assistant, then they know where, how to go on to produce or how to go on to production manage shoots or create their own things. So those, those roles are pretty varied, but a lot of them have to do with our, our creative sort of vision and what we're looking for. And a lot of it has to do with being able to work with people and creative people. And it's about personality and it's about, you know, being able to, you know, hold your own with very strong personalities within our industry. What do you suggest for young people, New York or LA, or does it matter? Well, I guess it depends on what it is that, you know, to be in the television business. You know, there's a lot of things going on in New York. We have a lot of television that we do out of New York. Are most of the big studios and the streaming services and the things like that, are they in LA? Yes. Starting out, can you learn in New York? Yes, you can. Sometimes I think, though, the access to the studios or the jobs or the assistants that are going to start you out, there's more of that here in L.A., but that doesn't mean that New York doesn't have places for you to learn. There's lots of editorial companies. There's lots of production companies, you know, you, you know but there is a, a bigger range of job opportunities, I think, on the West Coast. Right. You have a, a really unique perspective having lived in New York and worked in New York and grew up in New York and then moved to L.A. to start your own company. I also think I don't I don't know if I would have been as good at it if I didn't have the years in New York, because New York, you know, there's that I know there's that expression. If you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. Um, New York itself teaches you certain things. So I wouldn't negate doing New York for a number of years if that, you know, is financially easier. Not that New York is financially easier, but if you have family there and that's going to be easier, you can figure things out in New York. And and there's a an element to your personality that you'll learn just being in New York. Absolutely. Even interning in New York can really teach you if that's the, the right type of place for you in right, the right environment and if you can develop your thick skin and how fast-paced everything is. Correct. And is there any maybe resources that you would recommend to people, like whether they're books or uh, you know, a specific piece of content that you think is really impactful, maybe a TED Talk that you've seen that you really like, or a conference that you think people should try to get to, uh, an annual conference or convention? I think that some of the big conferences and some of those things are a bit overwhelming at first when you don't know where you fit into the business. It, although 
you, you know, a lot of these things, the CES and NABs and stuff like that, there's a lot of great panels that you can sit in and, uh, and see what's going on. Uh, you know, I, I look at stuff and I say, you know, South by Southwest is really interesting to see everything that's going on from a digital perspective, from a movie perspective, from a live perspective. They've got some really fun stuff going on. ETX is another one that I think those are the kinds of places where, where things are, where television is, is emerging and, and things like that. So I think those are important things to, to look at. You know, all the, all the articles that you could find on where TV is going and where it is, you're gonna find that on every, every magazine from Forbes to Fortune to Variety to Hollywood Reporter because there is no definitive answer right now. One of the things I'm gonna do with the Television Academy is we're planning on doing a study over television for the next five to 10 years. So once I get that study out, you should definitely read it. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, a lot of these conferences are really expensive, but if you can get in as a student or a volunteer, you can get access to listening to these panels and also be the first to hear the information that's being reported by a lot of these agencies and bureaus on all these studies, which dictates a lot of the strategies that these that these companies are coming to to learn and hear from. Yeah. I think that's very smart. If you can if you can volunteer for some of those things, you will learn a lot from that. Yeah, and you'll make connections. You'll meet people, you'll get their business cards, you'll get their LinkedIn, you'll even just get a chance to say, like, hey, what do you do? Do you like what you do? You know, how does this fit into the bigger picture? And also puts your networking skills to test and your social socializing skills to test. But also it kind of gives you an opportunity to be fierce and to be fearless and to not necessarily do what all your peers are doing in school or in, in your company. Like if you can get to a conference and come back, I think the most important thing is sharing what you've learned. You know, this is what's going on right now. Next time you should come with me, bringing people along and kind of rising together is much better, I think. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us today, Frank. You're very, very welcome. I'm glad I could help. That was Frank Sherma, president and co-founder of Radical Media and sitting chairman and CEO of the Television Academy. You can take his career and industry advice into consideration when navigating your own career, no matter where you are in your journey. Today, Frank talked with us about his leadership style and important skill sets for both young professionals and production personnel. We discussed the opportunities and challenges presented by addressable television, new entrants, M&A, and social movements. You can find Radical Media's content on Netflix, Showtime, HBO, History, Nat Geo, OWN, CBS, and Vivo. The list goes on. Thanks for listening to Entertain Your Future with Laurel Yaros. If you like what you just heard, check out laurelyaros.com forward slash entertain your future for show notes containing links to everything that was mentioned in this episode. You can also subscribe to this podcast and share the show with some friends or peers who you think might find value in the content. Join us in the next episode.